weekly waits Will goes on dates and Hayes is late But we're still mates and as of late We educate and postulate about the gym I lift more than both of you combined Oh yeah, this is Weekly Waits with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 51 of Weekly Waits I'm Alex, here with Will And today we're starting a new series Called Hmm. Programming the Blank so what's, we're going to do six today? episodes on six this. Six episodes? We're going to do six episodes on this. Okay, in a row? Maybe not. Probably not. People will stop Definitely listening not. if we do six in a row. Okay. So today we're doing programming for the beginner. Mm-hmm. So we're going to cover all of the main points on how to program someone who's new to powerlifting. So I guess the first question we need to answer is... Well, the first question is who came up with this idea, actually. Well, I'm springing idea. this on you. It was my idea. Was it your idea? Yeah. Because a little birdie this morning, aka Chrissy, told me that she actually suggested this idea to you. Oh, she suggested that we do like um, the differences between beginner, intermediate, advanced. That sounds exactly like this series. this is more than just that because this is also doing the lifts later. Okay, cool. Good sell. All right, good idea, Alex. So Chrissy, also partly Chrissy. Chrissy's idea and my idea together (laughs) sounds like chrissy's idea thank you chrissy for collaborating with us to create this awesome series idea um first (laughs) first things first fuck you man (laughs) i when she said she thought of it i was like fuck off alex thought of it it was a great idea and then she told me the story so you're a dog i can't believe you'd steal an idea from your own missus um well she didn't structure it like this but whatever okay cool why don't you help why don't we define the beginner so what was the first thing that came to your mind when when you threw that question out there. Well, what is a beginner? That's a good question for defining beginners. So it's almost I the same thing. Like the first one to one and a half years of structured training, I guess, is what I would consider to be a beginner. Yeah. Someone who from a technique point of view makes a bunch of different mistakes all the time. Um, and once you I guess stop making lots of different errors and start making the same errors over and over again, that's when you kind of cross over into the intermediate as far as technique goes um and muscle mass you know you're gonna expect someone to be very underdeveloped muscularly um and probably not have great body composition you're on a roll with stealing ideas today because that was what i said when we first spoke about it fucking wrote it down you copy pasted my own text this is unbelievable yeah i agree so um first year to 18 months of training and then i said the other aspects you would consider are technical stability so like alex said are they making the same error constantly or like if they do a set of 10 squats they're doing 10 different squats so considering that considering absolute strength levels as well um because to some degree i think it matters if you get somebody who first time they touch a barbell squats 200 kilos there's a chance that or there's a very good chance they've got a higher starting point than other people so absolute strength levels probably matter um and also body composition matters as well. So you would expect somebody who would consider it to be a rank beginner to be technically unstable, not have much muscle mass, have no competitive experience, I hadn't mentioned that, have low absolute strength levels and not have been exposed to training much. And a lot of people might fall sort of a little bit further along the continuum in a few of those factors, but like those are the things that, that would be like the cluster of things that you would expect from just a complete beginner. Um, and that's basically going to inform how you would actually go about training them as well, right? Because then 
those then end up being the sort of four things that you're looking at are like getting some competitive experience, getting technical stability, improving body composition and improving absolute strength being an end point, right? Yeah. And there's also um, some, there also has to be some consideration with whether someone has played sport before but not lifted. Yeah, um, big time. Because, because if, you know, if, if you're playing rugby, for, if you've played rugby for eight years but never actually strength trained, you're going to have a good level of conditioning, you're going to have a good level of like actual strength because you know you might be in a scrum or you might be tackling people or whatever so that's gonna give you a leg up on someone who's not done any sport what do you reckon off topic already we're four minutes in if that three and a half yeah, <laughs> um what do you reckon about the concept of being farm strong you know that yeah, where like country, real, bro. country boys are like you know yeah you can deadlift 200 kilos but he's not farm strong and then they go like I can drag and I don't even know what a farm implement's called. Drag, drag a cow or some shit around the farm. What do you use to plow I've things? Just, a plow. They I've drag just, a plow around the farm one-handed. I've just sent one of the boys off to go farming because he's not farm strong enough. Yeah, well, if you're not farm strong, what are you going to fucking Shout do in the weight room? He's probably not got Wi-Fi, so he's probably not listening. Is he actually off farming? Yeah, he's oh. farming. He's picking kiwi fruits. Mad. He did seem like a bit of a bitch, like he needed some more farm strength. <laughs> Shout, Shout out, out Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> Jesus. Shots fired. <laughs> Johnny Useless, as he called him? Yeah. His surname's Eustace. Um, yeah. Anyway, farm strength, real thing. If you've got farm strength, then you're an immediate intermediate. You can skip this episode. That's what I reckon. Um, immediate intermediate. Yeah, good. yeah, no, it was alliterative. You know what alliteration is? Yes, Will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Um, let's move on. So we've got this idea of a beginner being those things. The next question is actually how we go about training them. That's the whole point of this podcast, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so how much training does a beginner need? Again, this is going to vary based on who they are and where they lie in that continuum. But as you start off, it's it's probably very little because very little is going to get them some sort of a response because it's going to be enough. Obviously, if they haven't done anything before, it's going to be enough to improve them. As far as like how much training they need to do, probably probably want to start with two days training, then three days training, then four days training. Um, and each of those sessions will grow in size Um as they go further in their journey. That was so how, much, how much training, it's very hard to put an exact number on it. Um, what would you say? Well, just like there's a continuum of beginner to advancement where like the most rank beginner is a newborn baby. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> it's true. Um, they actually squat like machines, newborn babies. So the most ranked beginner would probably be like a toddler where they're a little unco. Um, but they, <laughs> anyway, so the most, no, okay. There's a continuum from an absolute ranked beginner to like the most highly qualified powerlifter on earth. Um, there's also a continuum of how much training you need. And without sort of revealing all of episode three, part of the conundrum that probably comes up when people are really, really advanced is that the actual training dose you need to induce adaptations becomes overbearingly high to the point that you need to balance it with big periods of recovery. And that's one of the reasons why progress has to be slower. In the case of a beginner, you have pretty much the reverse being true. So in the episode with Eric Helms, he made mention of something that I've said before on the podcast as well, which is that like in really untrained people, they'll actually get hypertrophy from like walking on a treadmill like if you're really untrained nearly nothing will get you better and when you're that untrained because you're not coordinated you have no muscle like you have literally nothing working for you for powerlifting improving any of the things that can help you at powerlifting will actually help um you know you could squat a broomstick and get better at squats if you've never done a squat before 
Um, obviously, that doesn't stay true forever. So how much training do you need? At the absolute extreme beginner end of the spectrum, nearly none. So, you know, you could train one day a week for a few sets and you would actually get better initially. Um, but once it gets into like the practical range of like, you know, you've lifted weights a little bit and you're trying to get good at powerlifting, then you probably need two or three exposures a week to powerlifting style training, um, depending on whether you're balancing it with other hobbies to start getting a little bit better, but probably two would be like a low end starting point, three is okay. And then how much training those two days contain, again, is going to vary, but initially just a couple of sets a few days a week of the competition lifts will probably see you progressing. I don't think that's an optimal structure. I think you should do more than that. But a couple of sets a few days a week would probably start you progressing. And then just as your training advancement goes on, the dose of training that you should be subjected to should also increase. Um, so yeah, I've basically covered that. So the absolute minimum would be one day a week for a few sets, but the realistic minimum is two or three days a week, a few sets of the lifts each. So it's almost like there's a few tiers within beginner where things change as you progress through those tiers as well. So yeah. you're not just a beginner and then all of a sudden you're an intermediate and then all of a sudden you're advanced. You're no. like a beginner A, a beginner B, a beginner C, and then you're an intermediate A, an intermediate B, intermediate C type of thing. Well, almost like... As you progress through those levels, the stimulus that is required is going to be more. Well, this almost makes... Like, what I'm about to say will make this series seem not redundant, but hard to grasp properly. I don't... I think you should resist having hard cutoffs in your head of, I'm a beginner, I'm an intermediate, I'm an advanced lifter... Um, let alone beginner one, beginner two, beginner three, and so on. And I also think you should be willing willing to acknowledge the fact that certain lifts and certain skills will progress along that continuum at different rates as well. So what we're, when we're talking about this stuff, you've got to think more like what is the conceptual framework through which I can look at this person and then assess their developmental needs. Um, so yes, there are people in the absolute early beginner stage, and yes, there are people who are tending towards maybe more intermediate traits that would still benefit from some of the strategies that we're going to talk about to train beginners as well. So yes, that's yeah. true, but you don't need to go like full Russian class no, system. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's there. There's a <laughs> there's a range. Absolutely, it's, it's there's a range. That's what's important. Um, so let's say that we've got somebody... Um, why don't we just have an arbitrary... Actually, before we get to like imposing an arbitrary structure and talking about what sessions should look like, let's talk a little bit about what what changes across that range of like absolute introduction to training versus like trying to get better. Um, I wrote an article about this ages ago. Um, I haven't read it prior to this episode, so I'm not sure whether I've changed my mind about much. But one of the things that I'm certain I said was that when you get somebody who's really, really new to lifting, because nearly everything gets them better for the reasons that I just said, and because like and because nearly every stimulus is enough to invoke adapt or induce adaptation um you can start very minimalist and still expect to see improvement in every domain and so for those people i think one of the lowest risk and highest reward ways of starting training them is purely through introductory technical training and if you look at what happens in some of the countries that have like schools for weightlifting for young kids so think like china and you know the old soviet blocks and stuff they would have people introduced to training doing initially like really general sports and stuff and then doing some work that was really like technique work with broomsticks and stuff like that before they ever actually introduced them to the barbell. If you presume you're actually training an adult, you can probably skip the general stuff and maybe work with a broomstick, but move them to just doing almost like a starting strength-esque setup in their training where they do a few squats, a few benches, a few deadlifts, 
and just focus on getting them moving well first before you layer in any more training. Do you think that's a good idea, Alex? Yeah, I do. But do you think there would be merit to even not even introducing the competition lifts yet? Absolutely. And I think that that also depends on their readiness to do them. So one of the things you mentioned before was like, has somebody done sport? You know, how generally coordinated they are. If you get somebody and they can't do a proper squat pattern without a barbell, so, you know, they can't do a bodyweight squat that's competent or like they can't do a goblet squat that's competent, then adding in, you know, a low bar squat with a barbell is probably one step too far. So again, at the absolute rank beginner end, you need to just get people able to do what looks like the movement pattern before you start loading them, you know, with some difficulty. If you get somebody who was previously an athlete, there's every chance that they can actually do a squat and that they have high enough absolute strength levels that they need to be doing some type of a barbell movement to get a benefit. So again, that depends as well. And again, it doesn't have to be the specific, you know, if we are talking about powerlifting, the specific low bar competition squat. It can be any squat pattern, front squat, safety bar, high bar, Mm. goblet squat, like you said, body weight, whatever the case is. Learning the movement pattern in in the in a variety of ways is going to be extremely beneficial to building that broader base for later. Yeah. When we actually go and aim to try and be as strong as we can. Yeah. So I think I think what you need to do though is expose them to those movement patterns, ideally quite frequently, just to give them practice. And Alex has already um, Alex actually basically brought up the idea. I think you want to bring the relative difficulty and the proximity from failure down so that each movement that they do is relatively good and it gives them enough external load or like external stimulus to sort of actually begin to feel out the pattern and know where they are in space, but not so much that they're not able to control and correct themselves in the pattern. So when you're doing a squat, a squat's a really good example. If you're doing a goblet squat or something, people very quickly start to determine like, oh, am I sitting back too far? Am I jamming my knees forward too far? Particularly if you give them some appropriate cueing and sort of give them a couple of technical foci they start to learn where they are in space were they to do it just body weight they wouldn't have quite the same external feedback and it's just a little bit it's a little bit harder to feel it out but were you to say whack a barbell with 60 kilos on their back they wouldn't be able to control it well enough to to correct themselves when they realize they're doing things wrong and part of what actually helps you when you're initially learning a skill is this ability to sort of overcome a problem is to feel like oh i'm deviating from what felt good I'll fix that this way. And then slowly those error, errors, narrow, errors narrow down. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, pick movements that they can execute with a degree of competency, load them so that they're always, you know, four or five reps from failure, but it's just enough load that they can feel some challenge and feel what it's like to do things right or wrong. Do you think that's all right? Absolutely. Let's, um, let's turn this into like almost like a case study kind of thing and then try and answer these questions. So I think that'll be a, a good practical way of doing it. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm fully for that. Cool. So let's take the let's take the squat, mm-hmm. and let's try and go through some of these questions. Yep. So, um, how many days a week should we do the squat? In your opinion, three or okay. Sorry, I made a presumption. Somebody's training with me three days a week, right? They got no injuries, low absolute strength levels and they're just being introduced to squatting, I would have them squat every time or at a minimum twice. And what would those squat variations look like? Would it be goblet squat one day, front squat one day, back squat one day? What would it look like? Uh, it depends. So let's make the presumption again that somebody is actually like a competent lifter who could do a back squat with a barbell and say they could actually squat 80 kilos for five. So they're not weak 
by general population standards, but they're just being introduced to the powerlifting movements, I would have them do, and they're going to low bar squat, right? Let's make all those presumptions just initially. Mm-hmm. Were that the case, I would give them a low bar squat on one day and it would be easy, like I said, five reps in reserve or more. So if they can do 80 for five, they'd be doing like 50 to yeah, 60 we'll get, for five. We'll get to that later. Okay, going. but like easy on mm-hmm. one day. And then the other two days, I would give them something that resembles the low bar squat in some way but that changes the demands of the movement just a bit to highlight things that are wrong with their technique so if they don't sit back enough they might have tempo squats to a box on one day if they need to feel out their bottom position like if that's the errors that they're constantly making i would give them something like a pause squat um but i would give them things where there's some type of technical focus because again just changing the constraints of the movement will help them feel out the pattern you know but again they those things could be a goblet squat it could be a high bar squat but I'd give them general squatting movements with just slight differences to the low bar because I don't think doing the same thing three days is actually helpful. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Same question. Um, I would have like a, a main... So like let's assume that they're training three days. Mm-hmm. I would have one main squat day, one secondary squat day, and then one like accessory kind of squat day. The accessory squat being more like leg hypertrophy stuff? Or? Yeah, being like a Bulgarian or a leg press or like something that's kind of away from it. Okay. Um, um, so tell the, me why why the difference. So the the main squat would be obviously to feel out that technique. The secondary squat would be something that, like you said, highlights some sort of a mistake that they make. It might be that they're just weak through the legs, so they might do a high bar or front squat. It might be that they're very unstable in the bottom position, so they might do a poor squat. Mm. Some sort of example like that. And then on the third day, it might be just something that induces a bit of like difficult training into the legs. Right. Like, you know, I think a Bulgarian would be a good example of that. Like something where you can isolate each leg um, and get some volume in. Sure. So I actually agree entirely with your rationale. And the only reason I would be different is where I to do, like I said, three days where they do like three different types of squats. On one or two of those days, I would have accessory work that I would consider leg hypertrophy work. And then one of those days would be like, you're just practicing the squat and it's really easy. But I do think it's really important to do some harder work away from the main lifts. And again, we'll cover why later, but I think that's a really good idea. I also just think that you can benefit from more exposure to squatting on just like provided you can actually handle it. Yeah. Um, I think if we're looking at the beginner, they don't really need that exposure yet. They're just still being introduced. So it might be a bit unnecessary to, to actually barbell squat three times a week. Oh, sweet. We're having a disagreement. Thoughts? Fuck you. It's thought number one. <laughs> um, no, I like I can completely buy that as well. For the reason that I said before, like almost anything will make them better. But again, I don't think there's much detriment to getting them to squat more. And it just depends on what you assess as being their needs technically. So like a goblet squat could fill that third place. That's suddenly not a barbell squat. Or you could get them doing a, like a Bulgarian split squat because there are certain things I cue in the Bulgarian squat that I also cue in the main squat, like the tripod foot, you know. So there are similarities in the movement that they can carry across from one to the other. And you, this sounds lame, but you actually learn things about yourself and how you move by doing different movements that you then translate to your squat. So as so long as there's some exposure to something that resembles the pattern, we're in agreement. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't say like you would get more benefit from a leg extension on day three than you would from having another practice at squatting if you want to get better at squatting. No, I agree entirely there. But when we're looking at a beginner, like we mentioned earlier, there's only so much training that they need. Yep. And there's only so many slots in their program that we can fill in. Yeah, for so sure. If we're already filling in one slot on each day for a squat, 
yeah you know where where are we creating room for accessory work and back training and general hypertrophy work and conditioning work or whatever sure i can buy that too but again we'll get uh we'll kind of get onto this but i'm going to say it now my model of training that i think would be best for beginners is they have a like one or two lifts at the start of each day that are easy work and i would consider pretty much every slot of a main lift technique work for a beginner because everything's a way away from failure often with tempos and pauses and things where they're just doing it right and then they'd have three or four slots each day where they're doing like three by eight to twelve or something um on everyone so the like the main lifts are so not taxing and the other stuff they can get through so quickly usually due to their lower absolute strength levels that i'm not enormously concerned by saying you have two main lifts on every day when they're like you know three or four sets each of like five reps in reserve with like an empty bar it's just not it's not taxing enough that i think it's a problem but it is something you'd have to think about if somebody said i only have half an hour to train then i probably wouldn't waste the first 15 minutes of their half an hour doing heaps of technique work every day because they also just need to get broadly stronger and that'll help too so i agree with you there yeah so yeah like you said i would actually do the same thing and have the two slots at the start of some sort of a main lift but if we're only training three days that's only six slots sure if we're squatting on three of those we've only got three left for bench and deadlift yeah okay i follow you there so like i would do you know my day one might be squat bench and then like leg uh then like back accessories and the next day might be deadlift uh, i don't know some other bench variation and then leg accessories and yeah and then my, squat that'd bench be my secondary squat but then you could have the squat bench hip hinge squat deadlift, or whatever whatever the case is yeah but yeah we've, if we've got those two slots at the start we need to kind of use them efficiently and kind of mold them together yeah so that we get the right balance through the program well i agree with you there so um, okay so next question yeah what kind of reps would, would a beginner what kind of reps would dominate a beginner's program okay so absolute beginners everything works but i think any work that you do that is going to be like hard in inverted commas so and i'm defining hard as within like four reps of failure should be high reps but i also don't think that the main lifts should be done with higher reps when you're just trying to ingrain technique and when you're keeping things deliberate deliberately easy so for the main lifts for beginners until they can do them well enough that I can actually let them do sets of six to 10 hard, I'd have them doing a lot of sets of like fives, you know, fours to sixes, things like that. But easy stuff like tempos, pauses, things like that. Then the bulk of their work, the stuff that I actually consider like harder training, lots of eight to 12s, lots of eight to 15s and things. Once they start being like semi-competent at doing a squat, like when they do 10 reps, seven of them look reasonable um then i might start letting them do things like you know tens on their main lifts and things but in the initial phases lower reps give them chances to practice perfect technique then have a moment to appraise themselves and you give them feedback before they go try again high reps on the accessory lifts what do you think about that uh, i agree with the accessories but i would kind of bias things towards higher reps for the main lift as well and the reason for that is that it gives them more practice at reps so if you do a three by ten versus three by five, you're doing twice the reps. Yep. So that's you know twice as many opportunities to do a good rep, and you know it needs to be loaded. We can we're gonna get to this in a minute, but it needs to be loaded uh, properly to a point where you know we're able to maintain this technique throughout. Yeah. So I guess that's probably the next question. Well, I can. Well, before we go on, we can talk about that because I actually agree with you there. I think that's a really good rationale. 
The reason I say slightly lower reps might be beneficial, there's two. One is you reduce fatigue within the set. I mean, taking into account that you also want your sets to be a long way from failure, maybe less of a, an issue. But like if somebody does five reps, you know, then they're not having to push out the next five reps under fatigue. So it's slightly easier for them to do good technique. That's number one. Number two, like I said before, part of the motor learning process is for them to stop appraise what they did right or wrong and how they're going to fix it. And your coach, like your job as a coach is to almost be a sounding board and help them strategize, right? So if you, instead of doing a three by 10, uh, do a four by six, you've lost six reps or whatever it happens to be. But you also have good maths, Will. Thank you. But you also have more chances as a coach to say that that set was better than than your last one. You know, let's try and sit back a little bit more next time or whatever it happens to be and cue them again. Now, of course, if they're doing a three by 10 and they're waiting between reps for your cues, then you don't really have that downside. But it might be worth breaking the work up. Irrespective, like I think where we agree is that you want them to get lots of quality reps in. But I would just be mindful of the fact that the more reps you do in a row, the more fatigue you have and the harder it is for them to replicate technique. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about three tens at, you know, <laughs> RPE 8 or RPE 9. I'm talking about three tens at uh, like, like a, a 25%. Yeah, like yeah. three tens at a 20 RM type of thing. Like yeah. a very, very easy training. Yeah. So that, you know, and, you know, like you said, you'll be able to cue them between reps. That one was good. You did this. That one was bad. You did this. Do this more. Do this more. And those, the the more and more that you're able to say in, in between reps and stuff is able to kind of, get in their head an idea of what they're doing correctly and what they're not doing correctly. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like like I said, the more chances we have at, at training and at reps, the better chance we're going to have at doing good reps. Yeah. And then, like I said as well earlier, my model would be to say that like once, once you're doing, you know, five or six slow squats that look half decent, I'd probably just give you a three by 10 because I know you're going to do mostly good reps and I can just cue you and you've got enough of an idea. But in that very early introductory phase, just do a few, have a moment to reappraise, do a few and then then go. So. Yeah, so so for me, I guess that primary day, uh, like which would be the closest um, the closest variation to a squat yeah. would be that three by 10 day. And then the secondary day, which might be the port squat or the tempo squat, that would be maybe like a five or a six or a seven or eight reps or whatever. Yeah. So on those ones where the focus is predominantly on technique rather than just doing reps that would be slightly less reps yeah i can buy that as well that's a pretty good idea yeah um cool Um, the next question would be how heavy do we make training we've kind of already answered this not very heavy because like you said before everything works for a beginner um we want things to be light enough that we're going to recover between sessions we want things to be light enough that our reps are going to be as perfect as we can um, and light enough that we can actually think about what we're doing as we do it. Yeah, I think that should be the case for all of the main lifts. Where that changes is the accessory work, um, which once you've... Int- like, when you first introduce someone to training, like, yeah, just like Alex said, was just like I said, <laughs> um, everything works, so it doesn't actually need to be that heavy. But eventually, like, they're going to be doing most of their bread and butter work in the 8 to 12 rep range. And one of the main things we're going to want to get from that is just some general strength and hypertrophy adaptations. And by the time, by the time you're doing that, you want things to be in the roughly like three to four reps in reserve range at a minimum. So I would introduce them doing those things at relatively high reps, relatively easy, and then progress the difficulty of those sets once they're like, you know, moving competently and that stuff until they actually have some grunt work. But the main lifts should stay relatively easy. Um, 
again, not so easy that there's zero technical challenge, but not so hard that they can't execute mostly good reps. And once that threshold of like ability to execute good reps goes up, so can the relative difficulty of those sets. Um, but yeah, the the accessory work that's actually where you're getting a lot of your physiological um, physiological adaptation. So when we go back to what we said defines a beginner at the start, we said like low exposure to training, low competitive experience, poor body composition, and low absolute strength levels. So you'll get an improvement in absolute strength as measured by the squat, just by learning how to squat better. We've said that too. But the main things that are going to underpin those changes initially for them is actually just putting on some muscle and doing some work that is relatively hard because that's what induces adaptations to strength um, longer term. So you so you have to give them some of that to actually build any type of a base, but that stuff should be away from the stuff where technical degradation would be a problem to you, which means like general work. So, you know, leg extensions, leg press, whatever it happens to be, machine chest presses, machine back work, all sorts of shit like that. Actually, I reckon you should actually let them go, do some stuff that feels hard and yeah, put on some muscle, but keep the keep the main lift stuff easy um give them an idea that like their main lifts are their craft that they're practicing because they're going to be a power lifter but that they also need to be enough for bodybuilders to not be like a shit power lifter yeah entirely agree like don't have any rebuttals on that well that's a change um <laughs> from from five minutes ago yeah uh what's next um how do we structure progression is that a good question or i think we i think we should go here so we spoke about frequency of the main lifts two to three times. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the body parts for accessory work? How many times per week would we want to hit these? I still think two to three times. Yeah, I agree. Um, again, this is something we've spoken about on the podcast quite a bit. Most people seem to get most of their benefit for hypertrophy training, hitting everything relatively hard about twice a week. Sometimes you can push up a little bit higher, particularly when you're weaker or a lighter weight, more female lifter. Um, more female? <laughs> I don't even know. Um, that's just respecting anybody who's non-binary, but also like um, seriously, females do seem to handle slightly higher frequencies a lot of the time, particularly in the first half of their menstrual cycle. I learned that from Lyle. Same. Um, so yeah, oftentimes, you know, if you're female or you're small or you're not particularly strong, you might handle three times a week. But twice seems to be about the money point for most people. And then when you get really big and you need to do heaps and heaps of work, it might be like one hard, one easy, something like that. But I reckon two or three times is good. And particularly when, like we said, with the number of movement slots we've got, we're only really going to expose people to like three or four sets per session to a body part. If you want them to get eight or ten sets across the week for that body part, you need to do it two or three times. How's that maths, Alex? Quick. Thank you, quick maths. Um, no, I was working very hard on that in my head when I was talking. That's why I slowed down the back end of that sentence. I don't know if anybody noticed. Big shack. <laughs> Big shack. Um, but yeah, I think two or three times. You? Yeah, entirely agree there. Um, how would we structure the accessory work after the main lifts if we wanted to keep that frequency up? So how many how many lifts are we going to do after those two slots that we've spoken about? So um, we, what would you say, three slots? Three or four? Three to four. You might have one of those slots be a superset. So, I don't know. I'd have to actually write a program and look at it. But if you've got three days a week, say you've got three slots after it, the last of which is a superset. Four exercises. Four exercises. And you're going to bench. You're going to have some type of a pushing movement as one of your two main lifts on each of the three days. You've already got one. So, you might only need one other pushing accessory movement or you might give people push-ups once or twice a week. So, you can pretty much throw them out. Then all you've really got to do is throw in some type of a unilateral movement 
some type of a hamstring dominant movement, some type of a vertical pull, some type of a vertical, oh, sorry, horizontal pull, right? So there's four of your nine slots filled. And then from there, you could throw in some type of a vertical pushing thing yep. or a shouldery thing and some ab stuff. And then that's pretty much everything covered, give or take like some single joint stuff for the legs and arms, which again, you can just throw them in and the supersets easily, right? Mm-hmm. So that can't be too hard. No. Well, well done me. Well done us. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, but as in like, that's roughly what you would say as well, right? I would put, say, a vertical pull on one day for my back accessory and a horizontal pull on another one, three or four sets of each, and then they've got six or eight sets of pulling across the week, yep, right? absolutely. Yeah, same thing for leg stuff. I might put a single leg movement on one day and a hip hinge on the other, and then they've got another three sets of each put on a random day, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, well, then we agree. We agree. Um, okay, so let's talk about structuring progression. So like we said, we want our main lifts to be particularly easy throughout their training and particularly when we're introducing them to training. So if they start off really, really easy, we probably don't need to add any sets or any reps. We can just add load to the bar. Um, when this runs out, like when we sort of get to three by 10, six weeks in and it's starting to get difficult, where do we go for progression? Well, once three by 10 at six weeks in is starting to look difficult, you'd also hope that their technique's starting to solidify to the point that you can either like add some add some volume and start undulating a bit more across the week or start dropping the, um, dropping the reps. And so if like, again, let's go back to our hypothetical person who can squat like 80 for five. Mm-hmm. Their three by 10 at the start might be like 40 kilos or something, like maybe a little bit heavier, but not much. I was going to say less. You reckon 30 kilos? 40 is probably right. 50% of a 5RM, like, they could probably do 60 for 10 if they can do 80 for 5, it's so 40, 40 kilos. yeah. It's, that's yeah, very that's easy. easy yeah. yeah, okay. Forty. So, let's say 40 kilos, and say they're squatting, well, one proper squat a week, and they're adding 5 kilos to each one, which is, like, a pretty big jump at that rate, right? So, they're going to get to, like, 50 in two weeks, and, you know, 60 in another couple of weeks, you might slow them down at that point, and suddenly they're at 65 in six weeks. Um they've already gotten stronger in an absolute sense and they're because like just extrapolate from that mm. if you're at 65 for 10s mm. then your chances are probably, yeah if i was probably 90 now not 80 yeah so you've you've already gotten better um so at that point if it's like starting to get hard that's when you could just say okay well we're gonna yeah go from 65 and do a few sets of eight today and add weight there i'd be to- totally comfortable with that if you wanted to extend that progression even further and you had any reason to you could back cycle to 57 or 60 kilos and do four sets of 10 um but that mean that entails lengthening their sessions so got to decide what they need more but at that point i just start dropping the reps because you'd think they'd had enough exposure to training to actually be competent to drop the reps what do you think yeah entirely agree with that so we can either drop the reps down so that we make room for more load or we can push the volume up and sort of back cycle the load and then progress it again yeah i think sorry to interrupt you um Saying that made me think a lot of the lifters who I got in that situation, I would be biased towards adding the load. And one of the, there's two reasons. One is that I think you do need some exposure to load to actually get better at lifting heavy. But more importantly, as a motivational one is like they've signed up because they want to actually see themselves lifting heavier loads. And I think it's a really motivating thing for you to be like, man, like in three weeks, you're going to squat for sets of eight. What you could previously only do for one hard set of five. That's really cool, isn't it? You know, I think that gets a lot of buy-in. Whereas if you say, oh, great, we're nearly back where we started. Let's go backwards a little bit and then go forwards again. Yeah. They're a bit like, eh, like... Yeah, especially when 
they first come in, they can do 80 for five and you go, okay, yeah, we're doing 40 this week. They're like, oh, hang on, what the hell? Yeah. I thought like, we were trying to get stronger. Yeah, whereas when you say, yeah. let's keep adding load, that's a reward to them. That's mm-hmm. saying, hey, your efforts are being realized. I'm recognizing that by giving you more of what you want. Yeah. So I'd be biased towards adding load. Um, I did have another question for you. Yeah. When it gets to a point where this beginner lifter is struggling to progress with, you know, three one-hour sessions, mm. when do we add in that fourth session? Like, how do we know that it's time to add in that fourth session? Um, well, one, I don't think they would actually struggle to progress for a lot longer than you might presume. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think you have to consider also how much they really want to do it. Because if you get somebody who's like a rank beginner, like we said, and they're doing three powerlifting sessions a week, that might be just about as much powerlifting as they want to do for the time being. And so I don't think forcing them into another hour of commitment on a separate day is necessarily the best thing unless they ask for it. But if they say, hey, you know, I'd be pretty happy to train four days. At that point, I don't actually see there being much downside to basically just expanding that training, giving them a little bit more accessory work on each day and spreading the main lifts out a little bit. I reckon that's cool. Um, When would it be necessary though? I only really think it's necessary when they start struggling to get a lot of quality working within their session. So if you're like, suddenly you want them to do two hardish bench sessions a week, two hardish squat sessions a week, one hard deadlift session a week and one easy deadlift session a week and another easy bench one. And you're like, well, that's a lot of slots filled in these sessions. And suddenly the one hours are starting to be 90 minutes and the last accessory slots are kind of just looking like crap because they're not really doing it properly because they're too tired. That's when I'd be like, oh, you know, fourth day of training would be good. But for plenty of people, that could be quite a way away. Yeah, and it's probably not even within the beginning of year and a half. No, like I reckon you could progress for yonks. I mean, think about how many people, just as a side note, if you go, in fact, I think Justin Lasek wrote a book about the Texas method, which I have somewhere. Um, and he's got stories of himself getting to nearly like a 600 pound squat on the Texas method. I mean, the guy was like big-ish, but there are plenty of stories online of people getting extremely strong. The Texas method's an intermediate program. It's really brutal, but plenty of people get insanely strong training for you know three days a week, a couple of hours at a time. Mm. So you don't yeah. have to add a fourth session ever, but when it suits you, I totally think it's worthwhile. And we see everyone from Melbourne Uni, they've had some world champions in the IPF and they train three days a week, all of them. Yeah, totally. But I mean, their sessions do creep up to, you know, two and a half, three hours. Yeah. Well, and then, then that starts becoming part yeah. of the question is like, you know, how many hours in the gym do you want to spend in a day as opposed to coming back another day? Mm. Um, and, you know, how fresh do you feel that you have to be to actually enjoy what you're doing and do what you're doing well? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, if, if you only have one a one hour time slot for three times a week, it's probably going to be within you know nine months or so where you need to add in that fourth day because mm. you know one hour isn't a lot of time once you warm up and you do warm up sets and all that kind of stuff. If you get to a decent level of strength, you're going to be spending you know you know what probably twenty thirty minutes of that time doing rest periods or warming up for sets or whatever like that. Yeah, well, again, that also depends on how absolutely strong you are, but yeah. You know, once you like your first two movement slots are going to take you more than half of your one hour session after not an enormously long time, which means that there's only so many sets of accessories you can do. But I would, I don't think it's unrealistic for people to get through like 10 to 12 sets of accessory work in half an hour when a whole bunch of it's like do some push ups, do some pull ups, do a plank. Yeah. You know, you can tell exactly how long a plank's going to take by how long you prescribe the plank for. <laughs> um, but yeah. How about that client of yours who did um, 10 minute EMOM deadlifts, 10 sets of, t- of uh, two 
imam deadlifts in 18 minutes yeah oh man i'm gonna hang on yeah um (laughs) this is this is actually my iq test that i throw at clients um which a few have failed uh i shudder um when i do give them yeah like 10 sets of two every minute on the minute deadlifts and say how long did it take because it's astonishing how many go oh about 14 15 minutes i'm like fuck you know why do i bother don't include warm-ups though maybe maybe they're just trolling you honestly it's possible it'd be so easy to troll me if you could just keep a straight face the whole time but i don't know um yeah actually another our friend lewis mcmurtry mm-hmm. he um he was he got around the emom train at one stage because he wanted to train at lunch times from work and he proudly told our other friends Lockie and luke that he was doing emoms every couple of minutes because um, <laughs> he didn't know what emom stood for yeah anyway okay let's move on um okay we're up to how do we periodize training so do do you think that for a beginner it's necessary to have blocks of training where we emphasize certain um characteristics no because i would almost consider the beginner phase like a block itself just a longish one um so then that begs the question of when we want this beginner to eventually do a powerlifting comp how would we periodize Let, let's go into that how would well we periodize? can i say a conceptual thing about periodization because sure. i haven't had a long enough academic ramble yet oh god this podcast um do you want to just have a snooze off. with yeah, Digby on the floor no it's gonna be short um <clears throat> periodization so the re okay the reason that we like periodize training or the reason that we have more elaborate training and planning structures to bring people to a peak um is at least partly to manage the fact that you accrue like you accrue fatigue training for specific things and you need to dissipate that fatigue and give people an, sorry i said this really badly the reason that we have periodization is because you need to actually balance fatigue and stimulus to get people better over a longer duration so an example that i gave today to chrissy when we were training about another very good um another very good lifter was that like they may benefit from eight or 10 weeks of hard exposure to heavy training at a time um, and need concentrated hard exposure to heavy training, but that could also wear them out so much that you can't do that all the time. And so you need to contrast it with another block. And then it might be that in order for them to have a greater base to build off of in that heavier training, they need to put on some muscle. And so suddenly they have a hypertrophy and a strength block of a given duration and you alternate them because they feed into each other. And part of the purpose that they're serving is you know bringing down fatigue and actually allowing you to train hard enough to get better but when you have people where like we said literally training any quality makes them better at every quality where their adaptation cycles are short because the amount of stress that they need to get better is very little and they can't really induce much stress anyway because they suck at lifting at the moment then you don't really need to do much elaborate with their training structure you just need to get them in and expose them to some stress and let them recover so it's only when you have to start saying i need to manage the chronic exposure of stress or chronic exposure to stress of this person so that they can continue to get better in the long term that we start thinking about periodization and annual planning and then on top of that you start thinking about competition preps which is what we're going to come to now where you have to start thinking about managing their fatigue to bring out their best performance which is again less of a concern with these people which i presume is what you're going to say so what would you do for a comp prep so just to give a practical example of what you're talking about here um if we have an intermediate lifter for instance who um we might do a volume block with them for work capacity and muscle um, gain purposes. Yeah. Then they're going to be doing lots of sets of eights and tens. 
those sets of 8s and 10s aren't getting them better at 1RMs just yet. Whereas if we have a beginner doing 8s and 10s, that training is directly getting them better at the 1RM. Yeah, pretty much. Because they don't need anything to translate A to B. Yeah. But similarly, if you have an intermediate... Or let's go advanced. This makes it more obvious. Um, So say you're an advanced lifter who needs needs exposure to heavy lifting to get better at lifting heavy right and so you benefit from doing heavy singles heavy triples and stuff um you can only do that for so long at a time before you accrue so much fatigue that you start to get worse or you start to get hurt right Mm -hmm. and so you must balance it with some work that's away from that hopefully with synergistic benefit um or else you just you stall or you get hurt and so you so there must be variation in the training stimulus Mm -hmm. In the case of the beginner, not only could they possibly train heavy frequently and not really get hurt and get benefit for quite a long time, so they need less variation. Actually, so pretty much they could. There's not a not only. They could. It's just smarter that they don't for the reasons that we've said before. Um, Yeah. Let's go go into the comp prep bit. (laughs) So let's go into... um when so when do first of all when do we decide that someone might be ready for a powerlifting competition philosophically literally as soon as they want to i think it's awesome like if somebody came to me and said it's tuesday i want to compete on sunday which is pretty much what happened with kira my 17 year old 16 year old at the time um i'm actually kind of cool with that like they should get out there have fun learn what it's like to compete and all you need to be able to do is lift the bar and collars so in that respect, like whenever you want. Mm. Um, from a more practical standpoint, you want to have enough time with them to sort of give them an idea of actually what a squat bench and a deadlift is, what the rules are, prepare them a little bit, but they don't really need that much exposure. Like how long did you have with those two boys from Lyft? Chris yeah, and, Chris and Luke, yeah. Luke. I was just going to um, mention them. I started coaching them and then five weeks later, they did the first comp. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's plenty yeah. of time, right? They knew what the rules were by that stage. Yeah, so we had enough time to... You know, go through the rules of the lifts and get some sort of an idea of what they were going to be capable of and then they went out and had a good time. Yeah. Um, but that immediately also highlights how different the attitude to competing is for someone who's a beginner versus more intermediate and advanced lifters where you want to see their best possible performances yep. or their better performances than yep. before. So then the first, the first thing we need to think when we do have a beginner lifter or someone who's new to powerlifting um, going towards their first competition is we don't, want to get the biggest total possible in this you know 12 16 whatever however many weeks it is because this isn't the point of their this isn't the point of what they do the point of what they do is to be as good as they can be over a long period of time so just getting into a competition and seeing if you enjoy it and seeing and like learning the rules and like meeting people and having a good time that's going to carry them through to into the next training cycle and that's going to get like excite them to you know go and do it again it's also going to give them numbers that they've hit in competition um gives their lift some sort of legitimacy and then it gives them um numbers to beat in the future yeah um i think it was matt who said this i'm not sure like matt bartholomew Mm. not sure he said it on the podcast he might have but it's like if you can get people out there going nine for nine or close enough feeling like they could have had more by just having fun and being confident and having some comp exposure then you're doing a really good job for their development um, early in their career. I think, like, all that said, there's maybe some benefit to the Wilkes method of letting them chase one or two lifts that are a little bit harder as well. Because, again, like I was saying with the load progression thing, it's almost like their reward to say, hey, like, have a go, do something hard and fun. Mm. 
But yeah, I do. Sorry, my dog is in the room and he's about to have an absolute spaz. Um, okay, it's all good. Um, yeah, I do think you should just basically encourage them to get on the platform and encourage them to have fun first, make lifts first, and take the emphasis very far away from their performance in absolute terms and more about like, hey, let's make some lifts and do it with good technique and don't worry about the numbers too much just yet. Because like you said, once you've got a baseline, you can just improve from that every time. And, you know, a PB becomes a real PB when you say I did 10 kilos more than last comp, you know? And if they are someone who sort of gets excited by, you know, certain numbers or whatever and they're looking good on the day, you might give them the option to, you know, maybe go after a 200 deadlift or whatever the case, or 100 kilo bench or, you yeah. know, some milestone. And you just miss- scared so many beginners who like deadlift 60 and you're like, yeah, you know, give the beginner a 200 kilo deadlift. 200 pounds deadlift, he misspoke. 90 kilo deadlift. 90 kilo deadlift. Um, yeah, they might be going after these... Um, milestone numbers and if they're relatively close you might give them the option to do it but otherwise you know we want to go out and we want to make lifts we want to sort of get into the sport like the right way knowing the rules and making lifts and you know building habits where this question started though is periodization and you were saying like what would you do when it comes to a comp prep because I was saying I don't really need much variation in stimulus Yes. literally I would train maybe the week of the competition I'd like take it a little bit lighter and then let them compete because one, I'm not that fast if they come in super duper peaked. Two, they haven't induced so much training stress that they need a long, prolonged taper. And three, they have so many opportunities just to get better and get more practice. And because I'm more concerned about them getting better long term, I'd rather they just did, you know, more of their tens and eights and sixes at a reasonable quality. Maybe yeah, maybe a week or two out, I'd let them take you know a heavy set of one or two. And by heavy, I mean like opener esque or lighter just so they had an idea what it was like but really i would just let them train almost all the way through give them a few days of rest and then go what about you um i kind of like to introduce my beginners to what a prep would be like but kind of like a very mild watered down version Mm -hmm. um so i will still progress their loads each week um leading into the meet and then do like a mini deload at the end um but i won't give them any top sets i won't give them like you know, probably anything, anything past triples, like I might do. I was going to say, what? Yeah, when do you introduce a triple or a double or a single? Yeah, like? so it would go, you know, stepwise down from eight to three, like eights and sixes and fives and then threes. And then but you let's might do two weeks of threes and then deload and gone. So I can totally see that. That's probably actually not that far from what I've done in the past with beginners. But you might be eights, five weeks out, fives, four and three weeks out, fours two weeks out a three one week out and then a very abrupt deload right so it's yeah. still like so much more training whereas yeah. say yourself like an advanced lifter or a, or a reasonable intermediate lifter you, let's <laughs> let's generously call you advanced <laughs> like you're not doing eights within eight or ten weeks of the meet most of the time right it's like or maybe like eight or ten weeks from the meet you are but like your fives are five or six weeks from the meet and then four weeks from the meet you might do some triples and well, then yeah, you know yeah, to, to give you a practical example, I'm 12 weeks out now and I'm doing, like, I did six sixes for the last four weeks Yeah, on my main list. So that's so much further yeah. out that you're being exposed to that relative intensity. And same thing would happen is, like, you're going to have a taper of volume that, like, your actual taper, you'll call your taper week, week like, one week out, but you'll have a reduction in volume yeah, and you'll so have like more undulation. Weeks, yeah. Yeah, and Alex is, again, somebody who needs a longer taper than most, but it's still, like, you're building in so much more fatigue management over the longer term for someone like you, partly because you want to perform better and partly because you actually, 
your training is more stressful. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the the way of looking at this, like from a broader perspective, let's say we had twenty four weeks to get this person ready for their comp. Mm. Their their first eighteen of that might be very general, lots of variation, lots of volume, heaps of bodybuilding stuff, some conditioning work, um, all the stuff we spoke about before, and then that leaves us six weeks of, you know. Comp specific lifts eight eight six six eight eight five three yeah maybe six six five five three three and then the comp yeah and um that's like a very mini watered down sort of um, version of what someone who's intermediate would do which is again a, a watered down version of what someone who's advanced would do yeah F- fully agree that's what's it. next I think that's it what um frequency what types of variations. Yeah, we went into that. We kind of did. We did that with the squat. Yeah. Do we want um, to just go through all the lifts? Or we're no, it's not, I'm not going to do it for all the lifts. I just say conceptually. Um, I, Like I said, I let my hard work be my most general work. So I, don't, I wouldn't give an absolute beginner much bodybuilding work in a main lift variation until they're doing it competently. So that might be the first three weeks, four weeks. It's all really easy. And then I'd let them have some general grunt work. So like high bar squats where they're just going over a long range of motion, doing a good squat, touch and go bench, things like that. I would let them do that. But for the for the first bit, the variations that I choose are always ones that emphasize technique. So lots of tempos, lots of pauses, lots of things like using a box to squat to, stuff like that, you know, deadlifting off of blocks or doing RDLs, things where I'm like, I'm regressing and segmenting movements and making them easy for them to actually learn what it feels like to do it right. I pick things on that basis first and then let them do grunt work that's on a machine or with a dumbbell or something first. And then once they get better, then I let them start doing grunt work with stuff that's closer to the main lifts. Mm-hmm. You? Yeah, agree agree there. But I, I kind of bias things towards um, volume initially um, for the the body composition and the work capacity benefits yeah. and in built in with that is ensuring that the loads are light enough that they get the technical stimulus out of it yeah. so it's kind of like very similar to what you do just less emphasis on like um, using variation to emphasize technique less emphasis or more emphasis less, less emphasis, emphasis. Yeah. yeah I follow you yeah. um, um, I guess I guess that's it do we have any reviews or anything to read uh, I don't think so. Oh, uh, also, we should probably note that um, our discount code is still up on City Strength. So is it going to so be up when this goes up? Yep. Yeah, it will be. So, citystrength.com.au, the uh, discount code is weeklyweights10. That's W-E-A-K, weeklyweights10. You are literally the proudest shill I've ever met. Um, should we summarize for the people? Definitely not enough Jim Doggo content. That was December 2018, I don't think. Surely we've had a review since... No, apparently not. Should we summarize for the peeps? Sure. Do you want to summarize? Sure. So, a beginner is someone who is beginning powerlifting. Would you agree? So far, I agree. (laughs) Um, For someone who is a beginner, we want to make sure we train light enough and with enough volume and with enough variation that they're going to be able to progress and um, recover. Agree. Um, I can't else? wait for you to accidentally just say something really like divisive probably soon yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I won't um, I don't know what else uh, so beginners you said they're under muscle they have poor technique they haven't competed much and they're not very strong yes said that um, yeah they need relatively frequent exposure to the main lifting patterns 
at a level of difficulty that allows them to do it mostly pretty well but gives them an idea of what right feels like as well said that um need to do enough general hypertrophy and work capacity work to actually get them stronger in that way as well um when they compete the emphasis should be on them competing well enjoying themselves having fun and setting a baseline and their preps need to be shorter say anything else will's reading off a piece of paper uh yeah he did well (laughs) yeah thank you i well i haven't really read off a piece of paper in quite a long time um yeah i've been using a kindle nice nice um yeah that's pretty much it cool no transitions this episode signing out peace out what up